0: Welcome to Slam Ball Nation, the nation of slam ball. That's right. Slam Ball gathers here, and we're here to podcast with you and discuss the single greatest sport in the world. I'm your co-host, Brendan Kirsch, head coach of Slam Ball's Mob, the undefeated, undisputed, 18-0 world champion mob. Shout out to Cam Horton, Darius Clark, Gage Smith, Brandon Smith. Cam Hollins, Justin Holloway, Deontay Bird. You are all world champions. Congratulations. I'm also joined by my co host and co head coach, coach of the buzzsaw, Hernando Planells Jr. Hernando. That's right.
1: That's right. I am channeling my inner Deion Sanders. So don't come at me that I wasn't raised right because I'm wearing sunglasses and a hat on today's podcast. And I got a little bling today. This is not a a championship and and granted i'm not gonna list all my buzzsaw players y'all know who you are i love you you're the best let's go we're right you know we're coming back we're coming back anyways but wait wait a second i've noticed something here on coach kirsch that shiny (laughs) dome which i have and now you have you look
0: amazing coach Coach, we were talking about it on episode one, Slam Ball Nation episode one. We were talking about how beautiful Bald is. We were talking about, I think you mentioned how I had six hairs left and it was like wheat blowing in the wind. I'm sure that was you. But I looked at my good friend, my co-head coach, Hernanda Planells. I was like, this is a very handsome gentleman. So I decided to rip off the band-aid, shave it, just do it. And listen, I'm free like yep. the wind is blowing in my follicles. It's so freeing and glorious. And I did not know this, for anybody who's thinking about shaving their head, you are instantly 267% stronger and 126% sexier. So those are facts and you That's can't right. argue
1: and with faster. facts. And faster, aerodynamic. When we're back on the slam ball court and you do your, your jumps all around, you're gonna yeah. see that you're gonna be like, I feel more crisp. Like I am jumping with the speed and precision That is way above any slam ball coach
0: Z cut effectiveness. I mean, there's not as much drag bringing us down on Z cut. So it's going to be huge.
1: That's right. right.
0: I love it coach. Well, listen, here's what we're going to run down today. We're going to run down training camp. Going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to run down draft preparation. What did that look like from a coaching perspective, a player perspective? We're going to talk rivalries, old and new. Are some of the old rivalries dead? Are new ones brewing? I think they are. Uh, Four point line. We're going to talk about the four point line. Is it a great idea? Uh, Spoiler alert. No. (laughs) And we're going to talk about league stats and leaders. So we're going to dive into all that. We're going to start right now with training camp coach. Not all of our listeners were with us during training camp. Not all of our listeners are inside slam ball podcasters like we are. Give us a picture of training camp.
1: Well, I mean, training camp, first of all, it began in a warehouse and it was almost like deja vu because it was in a warehouse like 20 years ago when we first started, when we both had a full head of hair. Right. But now we're back in a warehouse. We're in Las Vegas where people go to die and gamble, but we didn't. We came to coach slam ball and it was like training camp. You got all these guys, they didn't know what's happening. They got the invite to be top 24, right? So we had top 24. They came in, they had to learn the force of the tramp and coach Stanley Fletcher showed them the way. We had, he had a great practice plan together. All of a sudden, you and I hadn't seen each other in years. We saw each other, saw former players all over the place. And may I remind everybody, there are nine former bouncers. That was my old coach, my old team, as coaches. But we did that. Now, you know, it was great. We had that. They had to come in twice a day. We were changing stuff as it went on. I mean. It was it was great, but I think the greatest part in the beginning part of training camp for me was seeing all the guys come back and watching this new blood get like hyped up for it and now they're they're in it. So I I mean training camp was I mean that's the overview, the coach H slash Deion Sanders overview with it. Um, right. And I like to say this because Dion says this. You know, we look like a pit bull and pumps. All right. That's all I'm saying. A pit bull and pumps. We were doing it and we were trying to get them better. Coach, I love the LBR chain.
0: I agree with you. Uh the first thing I noticed with training camp, I got to, I got a chance to show up a couple days early, kind of by accident, and uh, they were still putting the court together. And immediately you notice scoring beds bigger, court is wider, right? Which you knew was going to have a, a pretty big impact on the game with not only how the stoppers get into the scoring bed to play defense and out, right. um, but how people attack that scoring bed offensively. And then the court being wider, I think that's something that we can all agree was like such a good move for slam ball because – It allowed the game to, it allowed the attacking angles to be better. It widened the floor, which made the game faster, passing easier, all that kind of stuff, which I thought was pretty cool. Had a chance to hang out a little bit with Stan Fletcher and Mason Gordon right before all the chaos started. And I agree with you, coach. I think coming right out of the gates, the main takeaway was Stan Fletcher and Mm -hmm. Pat Graves. Mm -hmm. Like, two very valuable assets to slam ball that we could not have gotten through training camp without Stan and what he was doing out in China, coaching those Chinese players. uh, It really showed and translated to this version of slam ball. He did such a good job of like, there was progression every single day with the players and the drills were well thought out and the days were well planned. And then having Pat Graves, I I know you're going to have thoughts on this too, but it was the first time where you could really spend time on safety with slam ball. And right. I know you're with me on this. Mason will kill us. But it's like going back to the olden days of slam ball. I think safety comprised of like this is how you fall and you fell once and this yeah. is how you try to land and you try to land. Now you have, you know, Pat Graves, who's an aerial specialist out there teaching the guys all the technique on like rolling their shoulders, making mm-hmm. sure, you know, they they never land with their with their legs straight. Uh, all those types of things. And I think he had such a tremendous and positive impact on slam ball coach throughout the entire process, but definitely during training camp.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and falling, right? And we're seeing in the NFL, Tua, my all pro quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, I'm a Miami Dolphin fan, everybody. But he went to jujitsu class this offseason to learn how to fall. So having our guys learn how to fall from a tramp, uh, from up in the air and doing it. And I have to say this about Stan Fletcher, right? We coached many years ago, slam ball. And we knew these guys as players, right? So we saw them, we saw who they are, how they carried themselves. And I've said this from the beginning, I was so impressed with how Stan took control of everything and said, this is what we're going to do, right? And as a coach back in the day, you're like, man, I, I hope these guys are gonna be all right, you know, 20 years. And now fast forward 20 years, The plan, the execution was great. And let's talk about Pat Graves. Flip a day. I think that's his his Instagram account. Flip a day. The dude is like jumping up. He's going all these things. But what I really loved about Pat Graves, if you ever watched him on his interview, he was like Ric Flair at the end of every dunk. He was always like, I mean, it was Ric Flair in a younger man, smaller body, dunking on the slam ball court. Yeah, he was fantastic. I
0: thought I I thought him and and coach Fletcher definitely brought those guys to the next level. And I thought what you saw was the improvement was so rapid, right? Like mm-hmm. before, you would see improvement, but it wasn't so rapid. I think we went from hey, we're going to uh take our initial bounces on the scoring bed on day 1, they were dunking on day 2 from the scoring bed. They were dunking from outside on day 4 or 5, which I thought was pretty awesome. I thought the progression was really good because you're you're really riding a fine line between pushing them hard enough where you have to get them ready in a certain amount of time but also making sure that nobody gets injured and i thought between coach fletcher and and coach graves it was a perfect marriage of being able to balance kind of that that high wire act
1: yeah i you know and i think you know when you have those two guys and then you pepper in Coach Jelani Janice, right? Trevor Anderson, James Willis. You've got uh, Rob Wilson running everything, making sure that everything is going well from the top. And I'm I'm missing tons of other coaches. They were all great. But watching them progress and now teaching the sport. And then the other part is like coaching is different than playing. Teaching is different than coaching and playing. So watching the teaching techniques, watching how they pull guys. You know, I saw you like you. I know we're going to jump into the draft but but you and i were doing like pre-interviews like talking to them like hey man how's your family do you have a family do you have this like why do you play you know we're watching guys during film who's falling asleep during film and who's paying attention during film all those things that you would do in a real sport because slam ball is a real sport and having them you know the players have that sort of Um, understanding of that was, was huge. And we got to see who they are and and who they were and who we wanted to draft.
0: Yeah. And training camp, it was super effective. I mean, I think we did a live scrimmage on day five with the super Mm. 24 camp. And that was my early takeaway on how good these guys were going to be. I remember very specifically, I personally thought I was like, I think it might be too early for a live scrimmage. But Stan was right on. He he said, Mm -hmm. they're ready. Like, we've gotten to a point where it's a full contact sport, and they need to be able to experience that. And then we'll bring them back, scale them back again. And I thought it was perfect for timing for that. That's where I got my very first look at Darius Clark. That's where I saw him, and I was like, wow, I didn't notice this guy too much prior and during that scrimmage, he was fearless and just attacking from everywhere. He attacked from outside three or four times in a row. And I remember Dion Bailey, who was the assistant coach of the Lava, looked at me and he was like, this guy is such a dog. And I think a lot of coaches saw Dak for the first time and said, this guy is going to be really good. Saw a lot of players for the first time who they were really going to be. Bryce Morange, the same thing. Like he played so great. Tony Crosby, all those guys, Cam Horton, the guys that played great in those scrimmages. Ty, your guy, Ty Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we got our first initial looks at, at kind of the, the building blocks for our teams there.
1: Right. And I think the other part, too, where, uh, you know, I think outside, you know, viewers watching Slam Ball. Right. We don't know. I mean, Dak Clark was a track superstar. Right. We didn't know at the time how that skill set is going to transfer over. Right. Ty, my stopper, Ty Kwan, only I think was there for three days had a a little nagging injury. And then we didn't know how good of a stopper he was going to be. I mean, there's so many countless guys and that's why like when we, you know, break down the draft, there were some guys were like, maybe, maybe not. And then, then after a few weeks, you're like, Oh shoot. I think there's, there's not necessarily, I think one mold, like, you know, in the NFL or the NBA, this is exactly what we're looking for in slam ball. I still think it's up in the air. We, we may know what we like, but how are we going to teach and coach that?
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and I think, too, one of the most memorable moments I had from training camp, because we did a lot of new things during training camp that we hadn't done before, is when they brought out the crash bags. Mm. I'm sure you remember that. And they brought out the crash bags and blew those up. And I, to be honest, my initial thought was, I'm not sure what this is going to do. And Stan and everybody was explaining like this is gonna help the guys be more fearless in the air and try tricks and not be afraid to land. And the guy that I saw improve the most with the crash bags, Cam Horton, who I saw I gotta take a real good look at attacking from outside, but Alonzo Scott, Mm -hmm. there were so many guys that were able to attack fearlessly, maybe on day four or five when they pulled the crash bags out, that their attacking and their height and their fearlessness got so much better because they weren't they weren't afraid to land. Yeah,
1: and and when coaches talk about the crash bags, there's a huge huge pad. That would be right. Uh, right would basically cover the island and the scoring tramp, the bottom tramp. And now our guys are going, and that's that's the same thing. I saw Raymond Taylor, who was my eighth round pick, who actually broke, or seventh round pick, broke his 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 wrist. And I was like, oh, this guy, this I, he was already high on my board, but now you know you're showing the fearlessness with it, with him, with Cam, with Zo, all the guys you're talking about. You're like, all right, but then right then the question became, wait a second is this becoming like a dunk contest? Is, is this pad being here only um, enforcing them or making them think this is a dunk contest and not a real sport? And I think now we know that these are just different building blocks that is important to have to see what their potential could be. Yep,
0: yep. And then I thought the the one takeaway I would have from camp on the let's improve on this side would be and I think you'll agree with me on this. It was hard to have the coaches coaching, but also be evaluating yeah. at the same time. That was super hard. And I know during the second week of camp, when it was the super 24 and everybody else that we brought in, brought in, you and I both, I, I saw you do the same thing. We kind of took a step yeah. back. And said, we're going to let some of the younger coaches do more of the coaching because we really need to be evaluating at this point. So I thought that was one of the challenges that we had during training. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, it was the touch and feel trying to figure out what exactly is the best formula. And I think you're right. You know, as a coach, we got to evaluate. If we're going to really bring the best players to our team, evaluating talent is so, so huge in a sport that you don't have college film to go on. You know, I know the other guy, there are some other guys looking at film of other players and how they play and how they didn't play and listen film of what you did before may show your competitive nature may you may show you going through a brick wall but will it show exactly your effectiveness in slam ball no no it, it, it doesn't and and i think i and you know my second round pick michael um Kola Wale was, you know, has great, ba- good basketball film, but there was questions like, hey, man, is that to transfer slam ball?" And I'm telling you, he was phenomenal, and I'm sure you've had the same thing too. Yeah. You're watching tape, like you're watching uh, a track film on Dak Clark. You're like, "Well, I think," <laughs> and he was more than all right. You know,
0: <laughs> that's it. I think uh, I think, too, the one takeaway that I had on training camp on what can we approve upon was just if, if you remember, we were we were playing with mm-hmm. rules, right? We, we had some rules that we were messing around with. The court was a different setup. That was the biggest change from old slam ball to new slam ball is the island is, is half mm-hmm. as wide. The angles on the island, because the pad structure is a little bit different. So those angles on the island in between the pads are like 45 degree angles now. And the scoring bed is so much bigger. So we didn't really know how that was going to impact the flow of the game. So when you throw those changes into the game and then you're in training camp and you're tweaking with the rules, but the one rule I, you know that I have to mention, and I know you know that I'm going to mention it, it was the bounce down rule, which I think we can all agree needed to be tweaked from the very beginning. Not that bouncing down isn't an important part of the game. I think we saw that it was, but – uh we, for the first part of camp, mandated that players bounce down to get to the island. And that was tough to watch as a coach because we were doing drills where you're bouncing down with no defender and you're taking two steps to do it. And that's not real game speed. Most guys are going a lot faster than that in a game and they're being Mm -hmm. hit or about to be hit and trying to avoid somebody where the bounce down becomes a lot harder to execute. So I definitely think where the league ended up with implementing the bounce down but not making it mandatory was the right thing to do but i go back and think about how much time was wasted do we see so many teams and players bouncing down early on in the season yeah. constantly into the scoring bed if that's not as big a drilling point in yeah training
1: camp? yeah I, I and i know uh for those uh who don't know uh brendan kirsch when he puts his mind to something the dude is relentless let me tell you like re- and and he always does this, fans. I'm only gonna say this one time. This is the last time I'm gonna ever address this. That happened Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was the last time for that day. That's what I should have remembered. It's not the last time forever. It's the last time he's gonna talk about. It. And he talked about it a lot. But he was absolutely correct. He was absolutely correct. It made the game smoother with. And we say bounce down is when you get enter the tramp. You bounce the ball onto the tramp so you pick up. And then get. It. Now, the other rule was you bounce down, the ball's got to go over your head, right? So now you need to super bounce and get it. So it was one of those things that it, it's so hard, right? Like, it, I'm glad they changed the rule, but it also helped develop some other skills as well, too. And I think you're, you're, we're seeing that, you know, we're looking at now from far and we're saying, okay, that, that was some pretty, pretty good stuff. I think the, the thing is, what we also saw is who is fearless, right? Mm-hmm. Who is fearless? But I think what I didn't take into account is that you may not be fearless like after a week. But after six weeks, we're playing our game on ESPN. And now there's some pride. And now my family's watching on TV. It's like, oh, crap. I, you know what? I'm going for it. And, and you saw guys become fearless who I didn't think were going to be fearless. And all of a sudden, they're, they're just scoring at will.
0: That's it, too, because you have – you bring up such a good point because training camp is mm-hmm. two weeks, and the first week was the Super 24 guys who were – I don't want to say hand picked, but they were scouted, and they knew that they would probably – all sides pointed to them to um, transitioning into this game at a very high level very easily, and then you had everybody else that came in behind them that weren't part of the Super 24 – many of which ended up being some of the best players that we had yeah. in the league. Ty McGee yep. was one of those players. So I remember we had that first week of training camp with the Super 24 and we were all saying if we get the number 1 draft pick, yeah. Bryce Murray, <laughs> yeah. like, that's our guy. That's who we're drafting. Ty McGee comes in on one day, one day, and we're like, "Oh, yep. oh, like Josh Carlson when the Lava got the number 1 pick, he was he was thinking about taking Ty McGee after evaluating him for 48 right. hours." And Ty McGee was still like a Uh, you know, like a baby bird, you know, he, he wasn't quite used to the tramps yet, but you could see like that potential in them. And I think if all these guys get another, if we add one week Mm -hmm. of training camp, I think it's going to help so much from an evaluation standpoint and getting these guys all ramped up to where they need to be equally as we head into. into Yeah. And
1: Josh Carlson, head, head coach of the lava, right? So we, I lived with him. It was myself, Kevin Stapleton, um, Dion Bailey, Myrie Bowden. You were actually supposed to be in the house, but you brought your family. And I brought your family. so I get it. I get it. But no, he was like Josh would go on like a two-mile run in the 120 degree heat and see his two mile run, he gets that done in like 10 minutes. I do a two-mile run. That takes like four hours. So in those ten minutes, he'll come back, he goes, I don't know. I think I may take time McGee And I'm like, What? You insane. And his assistant Deion Bailey was like, Josh, what? You know, and but but he he saw something. We all saw something. But having the number one pick, that's hard because you're like, I really like Bryce. Bryce is is man, he is sharp. He is getting he is explosive. But this time McGee guy, by the way, I want to give a shout out to Ty McGee because he's a proud graduate of Regis University. And there's also another person on this podcast, a proud graduate of Regis University. and That's me. So shout out to Regis and Ty McGee. I love you. But that's besides the point. But yeah, he was on to something. And it was, I mean, Ty McGee was pretty damn good. I'm just saying, he was pretty damn good. Yeah, no, no
0: doubt about that. And we talked a little bit. Okay, so, so I guess this is a good transition into draft preparation. Now you, you kind of mentioned it here, Dion Bailey and, 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 and Josh Carlson, what I kind of th- want to throw out there uh, unscheduled is like assistant coach, head coach relationships. Mm-hmm. Like what stuck out to you there is we had, cause assistant coaches were so critical as far as the draft preparation process. I just want to touch on this, but I just want to, I, I want to give a shout out to Noah Ballou, Noah. my assistant coach will be a head coach. I'm sure moving forward, uh. We joked all the time because he and I balanced each other out extremely well. You know, I, I worry about every little detail, making sure the little details are perfect. Constantly worried about like we practiced yep. together, coach. Those practice plans were down to the very yeah. the second. Right. And, and 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 I would I would worry about scouting and how we were going to play certain teams. And I mean, maybe overthink it here and there, <laughs> as you would say. And I'd go to Noah and say, what do you think? And he'd look at me all calm, cool and collected and be like, coach, coach we're going to beat him by 40 coach. Don't you worry. Always that. That. It was the exact opposite of what, you know, so I kind of needed that at times. So what was your, like, what was your, what, what assistant head coach pairing stuck out to you as, as kind of being either the funniest or the most. Well, first of
1: all, Noah blue. If you guys ever just look at a picture, no blue, he looks like, and he actually wears a cowboy hat, but he looks like he should be wearing cowboy hat every time. And I could see him saying that to you, like touching the brim of his hat and saying, coach, <laughs> We're gonna blow by forty. You know, like he has that like young Clint Eastwood type demeanor. You know, uh, with it, and uh, and he used to drive a Mitsubishi Diamante. Shout out to that car that I think is is no more. But back to your question, I I, I tell you. First of all, it's Sandy Fletcher. Sandy Fletcher, the most unassuming two-sport athlete ever, played football and basketball at USC. And and for me, he was great because he was – I'm always the one uh, who looked like I was worried. And he's – I was like, Coach, man, what are you so worried about? And, he, you know, he'd, he'd get on the guys and he would spend extra time. He was great. But, I mean, you look at Jelani Janice and Ronnie Bond. First of all, those two guys was like a Marvel comic book hero a duo because of how they looked in polo shirts. All right? I can live – no matter how much weight and I can't look entirely close to what those two look. Yeah. They're just like walk. I mean, they got great posture, great posture and just like muscles all over the place. Right. So I thought that was a great pairing. Trevor Anderson, Gennaro Hemphill, Gennaro, another form yep. bouncer, but like quiet, like Gennaro was such a caretaker. The dude brought liquid IV and orange slices to after practice. Like I was like, Man, I really want one of these orange slices, but I can't ask him. That's taking away from from them. I thought they were. I thought all the pairings were were great, but I will say, like Dion and Josh, both former players of mine. Again, I'm sorry. I'm patting myself on the back, but I'm saying Dion Bailey's fiery, and Josh Carson's like more a little more analytical. So you saw like people meshing and working together. I don't know if there was a bad mix of head and assistant mm-hmm. coach because ultimately the head coach is the head coach the assistant coach is assistant coach and we got to find a way to make it work just like any team but it was just again great to see them become coaches and teach the place boy i'm i'm so sorry man you're not
0: coach you're bringing up good points how about the slashers too Think yep. about their coaching staff because coach Stapleton got sick during preseason and glad he's still with us, ma'am, Cause that was scary there for a while, to be honest with you. Like we almost, we almost lost one of the good ones, but um, coach Stapleton, you had as a, as, as an assistant coach and coach Fletcher as a head coach. And then Myrie yeah. Bowden, who probably could still play this game at a high level. That to me was one of the uh, strongest coaching. Staffs,
1: yeah, no, uh, totally. Because the, the, the mind of Kevin Stapleton and I think what people don't either know or remember kevin stapleton's first slam ball team was not good like they were they were horrible because mm-hmm. he was already running intricate style offenses back in the yep. day and then they brought it back with that backside lob and was doing great mm-hmm. and then you have my rebound and absolutely another roommate of mine who could just take off at any moment and then stan who is like you know demonstrating to his team throwing the ball up in the air Putting it in between his legs, you know, doing all this stuff. Meanwhile, I'm just coaching, like, yeah, 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 just jump. Just just jump. Just do, you know, and stand. It's like showing him all the stuff. Right? That is a dynamic yep. coaching staff. And and it was great watching his team get to that championship game, although a little, little upset that he beat my team. But that's another conversation, <laughs> another time. But it was great watching him like build, build, build and and really find ways to win.
0: Yeah, ha- having ex-players that played at such a high level is invaluable. Mm-hmm. You know, Noah, I I've told this story before, but Noah Billou taught Cam Horton how to quick. And you know Cam Horton, I mean Darius too, but Cam Horton was probably the fastest at the quick in the yeah. entire game. And he was taught by Noah Billou, and it was so valuable for me to have that because I know the mechanics and the fundamentals of how to quick, but I can't mm-hmm. quick. So it's hard for me not not to get to the rim. So it's hard for me to be able to explain that. So having Noah like the it's so valuable. I'm glad. I'm so glad that we brought back ex players as coaches because, it, as Slamball did before, there was a discussion. I know, and it wasn't with the front office. It was above mm-hmm. that, on like, hey, do we bring in right. celebrities? Do we bring in celebrities to help coach these teams? And I think Mason Gordon, in in his defense, he kind of put his foot down and was like, if we want Slamball to be what it is and where it needs to go as an organic game that needs to grow. We need the players who have played it and the coaches who have coached it to come back and do that. So kudos to the front office for putting their foot down that. Um, All right, coach, we, we got, we got sidetracked on on assistant coach head coach duos. Let's talk about draft preparation, right? I know, I know that when the audience picked us up, the teams were already formed, the draft had already happened, and the audience was just figuring out what the teams were. But let's talk about our draft prep as coaches during camp and how we approach the draft. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I had Sandy. Sandy, uh, my assistant coach, uh, is, is tremendous. He is. He, I call him like a slitherer, right? He just slithers through everything. He talks to everybody. He's like, hey, what's up? You know, he's talking. He comes back. Also, I got intel. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. You know, we're having this list. And the great thing about it, I'm not a huge thing on meetings. Like, we're either going to walk and talk or we're going to text. I just, like, we see the same stuff, right? So why are, we, why are we beating a dead horse? We're not doing this, right? So I would say, listen, man, you send me your list. I'll send you my list. And then I ended up doing, uh, I went to the Daiso store. Daiso Daiso store is a great store. It's a Japanese store. I I coach in Japan, so it's like these great Japanese little trinkets. But they had a whiteboard. I got some magnets. I print everybody's name out. I wanted a draft board. And I wanted a draft board because this is the big time, right? You got to make the big time where you are. And I wanted a draft board, so we had everything set. We had all the different things. In my mind, I even did a uh, mock draft. Saying, well, maybe he needs this, maybe. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of my mock draft, I said, I'm pretty doing, this is pretty ridiculous. What am I doing with my life? Let me go make some food. Um, and we had that. And then uh, and then that was the process. And then, as you know, there are about four or five teams, not going to mention who, who came over to the draft board and wanted to see the Buzzsaw draft board. I'm just saying. But that, that was my process. <laughs> that was Sandy, and, and again, Sandy was huge because he was doing interviews already from day 1. And and that was a big part for yep. for for us to have.
0: Yeah, talking to the players during camp is huge. And I didn't see enough coaches yep. doing it honestly. Like when we were looking at stopper play, we 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 targeted Gage Smith early on as a as a guy that potentially could play stopper at a high level. But we identified a number of players that we thought could also do that, but you have to have conversations with those guys cuz playing stopper, it's not like hey, we want to put you back there because you can play it. Those dudes have yeah. to really want to play that position. So you'd have to have a conversation with them like, hey, how do you feel about playing stopper? And you could tell right off the bat whether they really wanted to or whether they didn't. Um, so those little conversations, those side conversations were huge. Same thing happened with Cam Horton. We were talking to him about, hey, are you, are you going to be comfortable being mm-hmm. a distributor? Because if we draft you, it might be a situation where we're going to need to pass the ball more than do anything, and you could tell right away it's not just the words in their answer, it's how they truly answer as right. people and and the reactions to their answer and you could tell right away he not only was down for that he he embraced like what that role would be. So I think your spot on those side conversations were huge. I think you're right about the assistant coaches playing such a pivotal role. We were so unfortunate, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise is that uh coach Bill yeah. got sick. He got super sick during uh, the tail end of the first week of sure. training camp. So as we headed into the second week, he had to quarantine right. for five days. So he was going to miss the entire second week of eval. And that's when all the new yeah. players came in. So we kind of broke it down and and we were coach. I got to give you a shout out for this too, because not the audience definitely doesn't know, but coach Hernando took pictures of all the players <laughs> And sent that list to all the coaches so that we could identify players by names and we could easily and readily take notes on which players we like and which we didn't. So thank you, Coach H, for that. But Coach Ballou was Correct. quarantining and he was evaluating the players that came in. I would send him notes after every day. He would do deep yep. dive research on, uh, on, on their social media platforms. He reached out to old coaches uh, people that uh, on social that he ran across and asked uh, about about some of these players, which I thought was so valuable because there were guys coach that we had on our draft board right. that we eliminated just based on some of the research that Coach Ballou had done. So, um, just an interesting take on us only having one coach in, in that. Yeah, in that and and
1: week. you know the other part though too, and again the draft, a slam ball draft is not science, right? It's and I, and I saw this on Twitter. Everybody's talking about, like, oh, you know, how is Gage Smith not the number one pick? It's really simple. It's because you just don't know at the time, right? You just don't yeah. know.
0: Yeah, hindsight's yeah. hindsight. I mean, 20, let's talk,
1: we talk. I know people talk about Gage Smith, but Gage, right? NAIA player, like middle of the country, yep. Um, you know, had some really nice moments. And, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I like him. Right. And then fast forward in the, the season, you're like, oh sh you know, like it's just <laughs> like you know, so everybody had who they wanted to draft. And and I think that goes to your point, coaching and evaluating is, is tougher because I think there's some things, obviously, like you said, hindsight is twenty twenty. But when you look back, you're like, you know what? I wonder if that coach had spent more time evaluating instead of coaching or or running a drill. Could they have made a different draft pick? I don't know. But those are like arguments you could talk about all the time.
0: Yeah, and I think to your point there, I hope that one of the things Slam Ball does as we come back for the next season is to bring on coaches whose specific role is to Mm. take them through training camp. So we can do a lot of that evaluation uh, and coaches can get a closer look. Because you're right. We can call them out by name. Trevor Anderson, Jelani Janice. Stan Fletcher, even though he didn't know was going he was going to be a head coach at the time, yeah. spent a lot of their time teaching and kudos to them for doing that. But it took time away from the evaluation that they were able to do. Thankfully, their assistants were there and everything. But I agree with you on that point, coach and gauge. I mean, we've talked about it before. I mean, we knew he was going to be an incredible talent. He he was already a, a solid gunner. If we had never played him at stopper, he was going to be a solid gunner. And we thought he could be a great stopper, but nobody, including us, knew how good a stopper yeah. he was really going to become. The best stoppers that we had, Kevin Cassidy, DeAndre Faison, if you look back at those great stoppers that played for us, we would run them through stopper drills all season long and they would be improving. We got Gage through stopper drills for the first week and he had already yeah. perfected every single one of them. And he was he was then – I would tell Coach Ballou, I'd say go over and work on stopper drills with Gage. They'd work on that stuff for maybe two minutes, and then all he wanted to do was watch how the players were taking off so yep. he could try to remember their timing and things like that. So he evolved so quickly. It was one of those weird things in Slambo. Yeah. I know we call them He's artificial a, yeah. intelligence, but he he truly was like – he only allowed something to beat yeah. him one or two times, and then he would adjust and never allow that thing to beat him again. And we saw that time and time again. But you can't predict those types of things in the draft. It's the same reason, you know, uh, players who were drafted late in the NBA and the NFL become superstars. Tom Brady, you know, yeah. what was he drafted I in the seventh round? You can't, He's you can't 20. yeah, hindsight hindsight is 20 20 you can't you 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 there are signs that players are going to be really good but no coach knows for sure yeah, if they're no gonna
1: and, and an i will say one more thing i think so, about Gage Smith that is is changing um how i'm looking at players as well too is how well they are in terms of the gratitude they have in life right one thing i learned about gauge is that Literally, he is always talking about how great the opportunity is and was, even during training camp, right? It's it's those things. And then he matched that gratitude with the intensity. And as soon as he got more comfortable, and that's a great lesson for any, any athlete. Like I, I hear talking to a lot of athletes, and they're always talking about the grind, how hard it is. Yeah, Absolutely. But sometimes if you can flip that mindset a little bit, all of a sudden you're in that moment of gratitude with that intensity of you being a, a seasoned athlete. And now all of a sudden it can to crescendo, which it did for Gate Smith, into a phenomenal season and hopefully a phenomenal career moving forward. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, for us, when we went through the, the draft eval process, we got Noah back. He didn't have to quarantine anymore. We were always looking <laughs> to draft to our system. And I want you to follow up on this because I know know the way that you draft too, having coached with you slam ball for, for, for this many seasons. But we wanted to draft to our system. And we really had identified players that we knew we were going to take. We knew that we were taking Cam Horton in round one, no matter what, no matter what the pick was, it could have been one overall. It could have been four, it could have been eight. We get our draft picks. The mob are in the fourth position. We're hoping that Cam Horton is there because we know our offense. Mm -hmm. If you have a good distributor, which is key in our offense, you're going to be able to run that offense. And then we knew we needed some wings and attackers and everything else. We did a mock draft the night before the draft and we took Cam Horton in round one. And we took, I forget who it was in round two, maybe Ty McGee, something because Darius Mm. Clark was going to be gone. We had assumed Darius Clark was going to be gone. And then we took, uh, who was it? Gage Smith in, in round three. So you look at those three rounds and play out and it gets back to us. And now Darius Clark is still there. We had talked the night before. We said, what if Darius Clark is there coming back to us in round two? And both of us were like, that's <laughs> never going to happen. Like, he'll never last to back to us. Like, I hope that happens. So then yep. we pick up Darius Clark in round two, and then we're able to still gra- grab Gage Smith in round three. So I think we we got very lucky in how the draft fell. And some of the other teams, Coach, took stoppers, as you know, early. Now I know with your I want to hear you talk about your strategy because you have always been a head coach that has valued having right. one of the best stoppers in the game no matter what and I know that's what you saw in in, in Ty Scott so talk a little bit about how yeah you, you know I, your
1: I think I really wanted a stopper from the beginning and I think I did it the very first year Slam Ball season one I drafted Rob Wilson Slam Ball season three I drafted Rodney Bond. And then, um here again, I, I drafted a stopper. I just really believe that if you get one extra stop, and I know other people say, "Well, if you get one extra score, you could win, but i I think we could we I wanted to go with a stopper, and, and Taekwo again St- Sandy was the one who was like coach I, man I, I think we we can go because it was uh Taekwo uh Debo, which i can't remember his real name right now. Uh, Christian Gray, and Christian I was Gray. thinking a little bit of Ty McGee, but I wasn't sold, and I was looking at stoppers down the line, and I said, ah, let, let's go with Ty. So I, I got Ty, and then, you know, we, we had a snake draft, right? Which means if I drafted second, I'm not drafting again till 16 or 17, right? So there's all this, right. this gap. In the meantime, you had already drafted two guys. You had already Cam and Dak. And so now I was really pumped that Michael Kolawale was still there. He had size yep. and length. Um, and then I went with Jamal Barnes and, and I'm going to tell you why I drafted Jamal Barnes in the third pick. Jamal Barnes finished a dunk. And this is exactly what he said. He said, I, and I'm sorry, I'm about to cuss right now, but he said, I could be motherf- great at this <laughs> sport. And I was like, I like this dude right here. I like this dude right here. Plus, I coach his dad, but I knew an intensity part of it. So I know we were the worst offense in slam ball <laughs> statistically wise, but we were tremendous defensively, and it didn't pan out that way. Now, we had Raymond Taylor late, yeah. so we had, we had guys coming in later on, and then we, we picked up a free mm-hmm. agent handler who was – he was uh, amazing. So all those things, but I, we really – again, I really want to say hey, let's get a stopper someone i know who's going to be great in the beginning and then let's let's build around them and and i thought we built okay coach you built great You finished third, you were in the semifinal game, had
0: a great shot to go to the finals. And that was our goal as we were, we were strategic practice partners, right? We talked about it from day one. If you're strategic practice partners, your goal is let's finish one, two, get the one and two seed, and then let's go to the finals and let the chips fall where they may have that. But then I dropped the ball ball
1: in the semifinals and lost coach Stanley Fletcher. Well, let's. But let yeah, and, and kudos to the Slashers. They
0: improved so dramatically. But let's talk <laughs> about Michael Ko- Kowale. Kowale. Is it Kowale? Kowale? How do you pronounce his last yep. name? Wale. Okay, let's talk about Michael Wale because yep. you drafted him second overall. Uh Coach Balu, he was pushing for us to potentially take him in the second mm-hmm. round before it got to you. Um, he was an amazing talent. He was going to be, he was one of those guys in Slam Ball that you yeah. could just tell had it all. Great kid, fearlessness, toughness, basketball skill set, great endurance. Um, he was going to be fantastic. And then he ends up getting, getting hurt in camp. I mean, if that doesn't happen, the buzzsaw look a little bit differently than they did. Uh, yeah. Throughout the, I throughout think the we would
1: have scored a couple more points uh, with, with him. But I think the, the, the biggest part of losing Michael is that I believe he was the heartbeat of our team. And and granted, when he went down, yeah. other guys picked up the baton and were tremendous. But, but what Michael had was Michael was a coach on the floor. And when I would go in my crazy tangents all the time, he'd be like, I got you, coach. I got you. I got you. You know, he would have players only meetings. He would be directing with that. And I'm going to tell you, this is a type of, of guy who he is as well, too. When he got injured, okay, when he got injured, he stayed, he stayed at Slam Ball the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, supporting, being at games, doing all the different things, and I, I really, I really feel that um, we would have we finished second overall um, in, in in the league uh, in regular season. You know, we got to the playoffs, and I, I think our gap would have been a little closer. I couldn't couldn't tell you. I think that's like a coach's wishful thinking, but but losing him, you know. But then we we picked up another handler who had a great year. This, uh, you know. Ty Howard, and he he was uh, Terrell Howard, he was great. I mean, he he was great. So, you know, it's like next man up and as everybody saw, I sub I play everybody and I sub everybody. I sub th- I do hockey changes, hockey changes, hockey changes to see how it goes and yeah. and I think for the most part it, it it did all right, but no. Michael is is amazing. He's going to have a great career and uh, and, and 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 I mm. love that guy. Love him.
0: Yeah, I hope he, he comes back, coach, for this season, because yes. he loved slam ball. That was the thing about it, too. He loved it. He was so disappointed when he got injured. He absolutely loved the sport. So he, he's going to be a great player if he comes back and plays. Yeah. So I, ho- yeah. I hope he He will. Does. Damn it. I need him. <laughs> <laughs> so to wrap up draft eval, we
1: can just all agree that the mob absolutely died. Mean, we dominated. can't argue that, everybody. We can't argue that. So I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and argue. I'm going to say for this, this season, absolutely. <laughs> we, we get to celebrate we get to
0: celebrate ourselves coach for another like yeah. uh six to seven months before yeah. we have to worry about anything else so we're really going to breathe that in we're going to drink it like a fine wine you know celebrating our our undefeated historic perfect season and by the way you, you might see my uh yeah. my my posters in the background here got to get a shout out to Brittany yeah, Cherry, yeah. darius clark's girlfriend i think instagram socials she is at Brit design with a Z at the end, but she designed both of those, both of those posters. I think she did some graphic design work for slam ball. They pulled her in and gave her a couple of yes. slamball usually does to do uh, a lot of great work. Uh, we're familiar with that, but uh shout out to her and, uh, and the mob. I mean, what can't they do? You know, John, John Schiffen said it best. Can anyone beat the mob? And we're still, we're still waiting. You know, technically coach technically because we yeah. went undefeated in China. Nope. Both times, uh, no, no, no. I'm totally wrong about that. <laughs> so we'll we'll just stick with our undefeated season this time. You've got great art, and right, <laughs> right now say. I'm
1: super zen with my leaves. I'm out here to get a little fresh air, you know, because you know I walk around the house with the chain and the glasses on all the time. So I need that's I need right. the air, that's I need right. nature uh, to come with it. You know what I'm saying? That's I, that's what I do. Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Rivalries, coach. Rivalries. Slam ball yep. has eight teams. We all know that even though it's called the buzzsaw, that's the new bouncers. They have eight teams. We're talking about rivalries. What rivalries existed prior that maybe don't exist anymore? And what are the new rivalries that we saw emerge? Uh, during I
1: Slam ball? have gone on record that there are no old rivalries. Um, there, there, are, there there, just aren't. There, there just aren't because you, it's hard to have a rivalry. Sixteen years apart, right? Like it's just, it's just hard to have. Mm -hmm. The people are different, the generations are different. So that's my two cents, right? There's no robberies, there's only new ones. And I'm telling you right now, slashers, I think it's slashers and busts The mob aren't allowed to have a robbery because they went eighteen and zero. Okay, so there is no robbery for the mob. I don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear who you played. I mean, okay, maybe the lava because you guys butt heads. Whatever. But I'm saying it's the, the Slashers and maybe, maybe yeah. the Griff's. I mean, uh, no, hold on. We can't forget. We yeah. cannot forget Team Ozone, or as I like to call them, Frozone, um, against uh, ooh, what? the Rat. Yes. Rad. That may be the marquee rivalry that I'm looking forward to seeing in the future.
0: Well, that That's... one tops the That's... list in New Slam Ball, Absolutely. Ozone Wrath. Are you kidding me? I mean, those guys fought yep. during uh, camp. They fought. We were on the court. For, for the audience that doesn't know this, we moved to the court into Cox Pavilion, where it was going to be. We're in the court. We're on day one of now practicing for the first time in like four days, and they're practice partners. And a fight breaks out there. Somebody gets their tooth knocked out. Punches are being thrown. Have to be separated there. Then yeah. you fast forward to the games. Another fight potentially breaks out. I mean, that by far and away has to be the biggest rivalry in, in slam ball. And you know, it dates back to it. Not everything <laughs> dates back to the mob coach. We know that, but a lot of things do, a lot up. of things do date back to the mob. So we had Trevor Anderson right. playing for us back in the day and we're playing in a heated, a uh, rivalry game with the Riders, who were always one of our biggest rivals back then. Yep. And James Willis, who was the uh, the king of Tra- jump shots, tramp jumpers, uh, he laid a, a a dirty hit. Anybody can go back and look at it. A dirty hit on Sean Inches Jackson directly in his back. Trevor Anderson took exception, hit uh, hit James Willis, benches cleared, Xavier McDaniels out there, the whole thing. Like, it yeah. never got repaired. That never got repaired. And it spilled over, which is crazy, 15, you know, 18 years later. Oh, yeah. in I mean, listen, volleyball. that's –
1: what makes sports great too, the rivalries, the stories within it, yeah. you know, that I agree. That is definitely a rivalry because that happened so many years ago. But it's also such a, you, you could see it on film. Like you, you see it on film over time yep. and everything else. And it grows, it grows, it grows. But here's the one thing people aren't talking about. When they had a the little fight during the game on ESPN, it's hard to have a fight in a tramp right? Like you're just bouncing up and down. You're trying to like say what, like, you know, cussing at it, Like You're cussing at each other, but you're like bouncing up and down. I mean, picture this, like, it's like you and I, we're bouncing up and down. I'm saying you piece of, you know, I'm going, you know, we're jumping up and down. I'm trying to throw a punch and like the punch is going higher because I'm jumping higher than everyone else. Then I'm low (laughs) Then I'm falling. And it's like, you know, get to a ground. Let's get to a stable ground and let's make it happen. But listen, I was not in that fight, so I'm very happy. I'm a lover, not a fighter, in the words of the immortal Michael Jackson, right? So I don't condone fighting, by the way. I don't condone. It. It's wrong, young people. It's wrong. It's a great rivalry,
0: 100%.
1: Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't in that
0: either because I <laughs> like my paycheck more than, That's right. more than I like fighting. Uh, but <laughs> How about Mob Rumble? Is it still a rivalry? Because here, here's, here's my experience with that. Coach Carter and I have have coached those two teams. You were one of the original coaches, Coach Stapleton. Yes. It was a rivalry, no doubt. And and a big part of that was because our right. players truly didn't like each other. They truly didn't. Like Chris Robbins and Lamonica Garrett did not like Whitney White and Jelani Janice and uh and and Deion Mays and, and James Willis and some of the guys that they had on their teams. Yep. They really didn't like each other. The the Rumble came that's into right. our locker room at one point and and a fight almost broke out. Like yep. that's a true rivalry. I come back this time around. And first of all, Coach Carter and Coach White drafted a bunch of really good kids. Not that the old Rumble weren't a a bunch of really good kids. They were. But they were dogs that wanted to go out and fight in a junkyard. And these kids were like, uh, you know, they they were just different. They were good kids. So I liked them so much, it was hard to even have a rivalry with the Rumble. And then you come out of the gates, and we kick their by 50. How is that supposed to be a rivalry, Coach?
1: You can't beat a team Right, and I was in the the stand saying, "Oh, this can't be good for TV." Oh, but I mean, but again, that old Rumble team had Jelani Janice, the sheriff, right, and he just demands respect when he's walking in the room, or you just walk, you know, watching him just walking on a sidewalk, right? And he has that demeanor. And they had a bunch of guys who came together, and I think that's a, a mark of really true good teams: is that it's the team that comes together. Us coaches, we're the architects. We're saying, hey, do this, this, this. But it's teams that really come together and say, this is what we're going to do. That's what your team did. That's what my team did. Most of the time, I think they, they kept on trying. But that's what great teams do. This is what we're going to do. We're going to impose our will. And the Rumble did it back in the day because they'll just come at you. They'll drive. They'll kick out, drive again. And Whitney White was so good. And you guys did it with this year. We're constantly, it's like air attack. Like you're just throwing, let's lob city with the mob. You should not be called the mob. You should be called the lob. That's what you guys should be called. All right? <laughs> the lob with it, everything. And let me just bring this brings us to another great point. You know, they talk about like fan favorites. Obviously, the mob is a fan favorite. Listen, the mob was geared to be fan favorite from the very beginning. The mob is a dope ass name. Let me just tell you, it's a dope ass name. Now, the second dope-ass name is Bouncing the bus saw, but that's fine. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, listen, you're already built in the revenue. I'm going to say this right now. Slam ball management, uh, the mob, or the lob, as I like to call them, you know, it they should be getting royalties because that name is gold. That name is gold. Not as gold as this loose ball rebound, channel, the bus saw, but it's gold.
0: <laughs> well, you know what was golder than that was the uh, Gordon stolen yes. Trophy. I held it who? real close to who, me. Who I kissed yourself? it at one point. It weighs like eighty-five pounds, and it where? is beautiful. Well, where is it? It's gold. It's. Ah, <laughs> I think it's in the slam ball offices. Who knows? They just have to put our. They get to put our name on the trophy, and then it's like a perpetual trophy. You know, they just add the names. We got to spend like we got to spend like thirty minutes That's with. Nice. It. And those That's memories nice. will last sure a lifetime. I I by sure. the way, you have to get right. mini
1: trophies, like with you with the Emmys. You don't get the actual Emmy, right? You just get right like, the mini right? ones. Right? Yep.
0: Yep. All right. Rivalries. I had Slashers, Buzzsaw, just like you. I had Ozone Wrath, just like you. I had Griffin's Wrath. Because if you remember, those teams played each other pretty tough. Like those were some of the closest games that they had. Um, And then I had Lava Mob. I know you say there's no no rivalry, but the Lava got real good late. And to be completely honest, like there were a couple of players in the Lava (laughs) that I just flat out don't like. I think they're dirty as hell. And I told our guys that. I mean, you could clearly see on tape. It's like, and and Josh Carlson, I love him. He's a good player, good head coach. But I would walk into the front office, and he's sitting down with Rob Wilson, the EVP of Player Personnel, overseeing all the rules. And he's sitting there, and he's like, "Well, I, I think, coach, I think Rob, I think this is right here. If you look at it, this might be this might be like kind of a hit in the back, or or maybe it's one. Like, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? You had a guy elbow one of our guys in the back of the head and almost knock him out? I looked on film. It was so intentional. We had to pull the clip and send it to Rob to find the guy." Like, it's, it, uh, 55 ticky-tack little potential fouls don't add up to egregious hits with intent to injure. And I think you can look at Lava Mob and see at least four or five egregious hits with intent to injure. Oh, by the way, when the game was completely yeah, out of it. hand, completely out of hand, Lava Lava just couldn't take what? their looking whooping like a man. They had to come out there, and they had to just try to lay hits and injure and do all those types of things. And then we got to play them in the playoffs, Coach, and they had their crack at it, and they couldn't get it done there either. So I say if there's any type of rivalry, mark us down for the lava, because that's one team I would love to beat their a few more times coming into the next season. Well, let let me tell you something.
1: You have just erupted a great rivalry right there. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. My dad jokes are coming all day long.
0: I love it. All right. Well, coach, like I said before, no matter what happens, they can't cancel us. So we're good. The four-point line, coach, we're moving on to subjects. The four-point line, should it be part of Slam Ball? Was it a good idea? What are your overall thoughts? on? Now, now let me set the table for this, coach, because the Slam Ball front office and Mason Gordon, they really wanted there to be. Actually, I take that back. There was some argument discussion, I should say, over whether to have the four-point line or not. I think the thought process was they're convinced that the NBA is going to have a four-point line here in the very near future and start testing that with preseason and things of that nature. They wanted to have a four-point line before the NBA does. Here's my problem with it, coach. The slam ball four-point line is 26.5 feet. The NBA three-point line is 23.9 feet. So we're talking about two feet farther. And oh, by the way, we don't have any Steph Curry out here playing slam ball. You know, Richard Washington is as good a shooter as we're going to have in slam ball. And I think he shot, he led the league. He shot 14. No, I'm sorry. Mm. He was five for 37. He was five for 37 from the four point line. And that was number one in the league. The league as a whole coach shot 14.5% from the four point line. So is it something that makes the game better? Should we leave it and just not? not take as many 4-point shots unless it's late in the shot clock. What are you talking about? Well, I think if
1: we really even break down even further, it was the Rumble who who decided to take almost like 35-40% of the shots from the 4-point line. And and I do remember when the 4-point line was introduced, I did joke I was going to play the first 3 weeks of us just shooting 84-pointers and then during the playoffs then then we'll attack. Right, there is a strategy involved with it. If you have the people to do it, right? And then the other part is how are you going to implement a, a four-point shot w- within it, right? And, and I, so I personally do love it. I don't love it if all of a sudden a team has four tremendous shooters and now they just start shooting it because it's, it's slam ball. It's not shoot ball. It's slam ball. Okay. Like, so we got to get to the basket and you could implement it. And I think over time, the coaches are, are going to, I think the hesitation though of implementing a four point shot within the system is that the quarters are only five minutes long. So you don't have a whole lot of time for some of these guys to kind of get in the flow and then all of a sudden start stroking four point shots. Right? So I think there's some things that, that are, are, that have to be, looked at uh, philosophy-wise, are we going to increase it to six to seven minutes a quarter? And then now that could be implemented, I think. But I think those those are some things that that have to be discussed.
0: Yeah, and I think you make a good point. The the, Playing devil's advocate to what I said before, too, is the stats don't always tell the story. The Rumble, you're right. They were shooting a lot of fours, but part of their strategy Mm -hmm. was to sneak a guy in weak side for tip dunks. And so some of those fours that were missed were actually capitalized on as threes cut with sending in a guy weak side for those tip dunks. So it's almost like we need a stat that's how many fours were taken and then capitalized as threes. Mm. I think that might be interesting to see. I'm fine with it being out there. You know, I I don't think, it doesn't impact us in any way because we're only taking fours if it's late in the shot clock or, you know, a situation like that. But, um, you know, to have the rumble out there throwing up, fours the way that they did it just wasn't you, they'd go down they, they'd shoot fours they'd go down significantly early and then the only way they could dig out of it is continuing to shoot fours I think about like if right. there was no four-point line how good would the rumble potentially have been coach like Kalen Tippentill Richard Washington all those guys that they had that were high flyers if there was no four-point line to lean back on and rely on how good would they have been inside the slam zone It it would have been interesting to see because you're right Coach Carter and Coach White made uh, four pointers a big part of their overall strategy and their draft strategy, Coach, because they draft. Yeah, the I, I
1: think, again, it's just going to be over time, right? Shooting is rhythm, right? That's, that, uh, that's what it really is. Shoot, so there's a lot of, not a lot of time with five minutes. And, yes, there's, that exactly was their strategy. They want that, that weak side tip dunk. But there's also the other part. The argument can be made with these players have never played slam ball before so we are trying to teach them to play a certain way in a short amount of time and human nature tells us that we will do things that are comfortable and shooting is comfortable for for people shot making is not comfortable but shooting is and that's what a lot of teams did and and so you've got to again try and find something it's whether it's coaches talking and say hey you know this is where where I'd want to do it i mean we we would um i had a call when the shot clock was down to zero or two to get that type of four point shot. Of course, I forgot to call it half the time because we should never be in that situation to begin with. But yeah, no, I think there's there's a situation things that are so important and got to be addressed.
0: Right. Well, for the audience who's watching this, let's just talk about why the four point line Mm -hmm. it's not just distance, right? It's if you're dribbling and you pull up for a four pointer, you can be completely obliterated. So you really have to catch and shoot if you want to get it up clean. Otherwise, you can be blown up, which your mindset is already the Mm -hmm. floor is spring loaded. So when your legs are dead, which in Slam Ball, it's a very tiring game if the audience hasn't noticed. And when your legs are dead and you have a spring loaded floor, you have to give it so much extra coming off to get it out and release it. You have to give it so much extra because the floor is absorbing your legs and your legs are already dead. Now, the advantage to the four point shot Mm -hmm. is probably that the rim is padded there's a pool noodle around the rim and duct tape. So you would think that it has a little bit more give when it hits the rim. It can go in a little more flat than like an NBA rim does, but I still think it's a low percentage shot and I understand why it exists. I do. Uh, And who am I to argue with slam ball, but, it, it just wasn't – it wasn't very effective. In fact, it was probably more of a detriment in this first season back. Yeah, than no,
1: I, I in could totally see opinion. it. And we started doing drills where you have to jump on the side tramp and then pop out, get your feet set to shoot it. Most teams were just running into it. And when you run into it, that's not a realistic yeah. part because, as you mentioned, there are three different types of floors or, or uh, groundings or whatever mm-hmm. on a slam ball court. So your body mentally is getting ready for a spring uh, floor or coming off the screen, uh, the tramp into the spring floor, right? There's or the padding, right? So, so many things can affect uh, shot making.
0: That's it. All right, coach. Last topic of the day, statistics. So we have some interesting statistics that I pulled. Uh, some of these are actually on the uh, the slam ball website. I'm trying to see the one. There was one interesting one, and I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up right now, where it basically talked about uh how slam ball out of all the professional sports is the highest points per minute. Oh. Which I thought was well, really, the bus stop was definitely really cool. not in that mix. Um, especially <laughs> well, especially with that that younger yep. audience wanting to see scoring. Um, I, I I'll pull up the exact stat here in a minute as you kind of go through some of the statistics, but I thought that was interesting. Okay. So the first one I have is how about this? The record for points in a single game, Stan Fletcher held that back in the day. Uh, it was 42 points. It got broken twice this season. It got broken by Ty McGee who scored 43 versus the rumble. And then, um, a couple weeks later, I think two or three weeks later, it was broken by Darius Clark who scored 44 against the Griff's. So what are your thoughts on that? That's, well, that's, that that that's, just scoring that's a lot
1: of points ball. in a slam ball game in a 20 minute slam ball game scoring shoot over 30, over 25, uh, over 20 in a 20 minute game that you're not playing the full 20 minutes. That's so impressive. It, it's, it's absolutely so impressive. That means you're efficient. That means you're attacking consistently. And that also, the third thing is that you're just blowing by the stopper <laughs> every single time to do it. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, points is, is the name of the game. It's just like in any sport right now. Um, and, yeah, 44 points is an amazing feat. Ty McGee also had, what is, oh, he also had over 40 points like that. Like, come on now. 43. Come on. In,
0: yeah. In a 20-minute game, coach, in a 20-minute running clock game, I mean, it's hard to do anything in 20 minutes running the yeah. clock 40, 44 times. You know, it's it's crazy to be able to think that way, especially with as good as the stoppers got late. I'll tell you a story about that Griff's game where Darius Clark had his 44. First off, we had no idea. We had no idea how many points he had. And that game, we ended up jumping out to a really big lead. And the offense was running extremely well. It was one of the most effective mm-hmm. games that we ever had running the offense. And I think we entered the fourth quarter and we had 80 points. We had 80 points. Wow. And I'm looking at the guys, one of their, one of their, um, objectives for the year was to drop a hundred in a game, which obviously has never been done before in slam ball. And honestly, I didn't think it was even possible. I was like, it's not going to happen now. No, mm-hmm. the Griff's didn't have their starting stopper. Matt Wilkerson, right. Connor had already been injured. He was out and Matt Wilkerson had been injured. So they're playing a gunner at stopper. And we talked about it in the huddle, we were like, should we go ahead and, and try to do this? And we agreed. We were like, we're not going to do it. This is not the right time. If you want to drop a hundred, that's fine. That's cool. But you, the other team has right. to at least have a starting stopper in a legitimate starting stopper. So we, we break that huddle and I look out and Mason Gordon is doing, you might've been doing the play-by-play with Mason, but Mason Gordon's doing it. And he looks over at me and he's yeah. like, you could score a hundred. And I'm like, Mace, we're not doing it. So we ended up slow playing the entire fourth quarter and actually towards the end, even giving up shots and just letting the shot clock expire. And then after the game, I found out that I thought Darius Clark had missed the right. uh, scoring. Oh, that's right. Two points, I was and he had 42 yep. and not 44. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad because I at least should have run something for him to be able to win that score because yep. he, he would have deserved to have done it in a whole nother quarter of play. But, uh, but thankfully, they went back and recorded it, and and I think they had not yeah. counted one of his face-offs or something like that. So he ended up with forty four. So that was that was pretty awesome. All right, here's here, coach. Here's the stat: points per minute, slam ball versus major North American sports league. Slam ball is five point one points per minute. The NBA is four point seven. Obviously, the other sports, because it's lower scoring, NFL 0. 0.7, NHL 0. 0.1, Major League Baseball 0. 0.05 for anybody that still actually watches. Major yeah, League what baseball. is that? But uh, Slam Ball at
1: 5.1, NBA, NBA at 4.7. <laughs> that 4. is pretty 7. cool. That pretty cool, scoring right? uh, above there. Although, I have to say, this year's Buzzsaw definitely was not at five points uh, per minute. Uh, scoring. I just want to say that we are the, uh, the anti-scoring uh, slam ball team. We were the worst slam ball offense, but we were one of the top defenses, top two. But enough patting myself in the back because I'm the one who orchestrated uh, the worst offense, maybe, in slam ball history.
0: Coach, you don't give yourself enough credit. Your defense led to your offense. We all know that. Stop trying to sandbag. You're already trying to sandbag for it's, next season. It's all marketing. Season. Here It, goes it is again. all marketing. Coach, we're gonna be at time. We're gonna have to talk at some of these about some of these stats uh next time around. I think we're gonna have episode three yep. uh we're recording that next week if if all things go well and coach tell me this, are we planning i think we're planning on doing we're gonna start doing individual team yes. in depth analysis starting mm-hmm. next week where we pick one team every episode to dive into how that team did that season coach Yes yeah, no players, no, absolutely
1: I mean we gotta give i think good inside look. On, on the teams, because I think, you know, and the viewers and all you guys who are listening, what you see in slam ball, you see the collision at the basket, but there's so much more that goes into it from timing, from how you attacking the tramps to how the coaches react, how the players react, who takes on the personality, who doesn't, right? All these different things that I think are going to be a, a big part of it.
0: That's right. We appreciate you guys. Who who would have guessed we would have gone overtime, Coach? Two chatty Cathys like us talking about slam ball. Appreciate everybody, slam ball nation. This was season one, episode two. That's going to be a wrap. We are, yeah, we're one. We you wonders, know why? Coach. You we know why? Edit. Because
1: in the words of Dion Sanders, we work, we don't twerk. All right, we we working, we are not twerking. I'm just saying that right now. That's what we do on Slam Ball Nation. <laughs>